So, this afternoon, I took my son to get his hair cut, which um, you say, aw, but (laughs) (laughs) have you taken a two-year-old to get a tooth cut? (laughs) No, actually, he did really well, Um, but I noticed going in, having taken him to haircuts before, my anxiety level (laughs) of just anticipating how hard this was going to be and just hoping that we'd even be able to get it done because there's been times where it just wasn't even going to happen and we had to walk out. And uh, and he has a lot of hair, big head of hair, um, which I've I've tried to cut myself and it's a total disaster every time. <laughs> so I took him this afternoon and it, this has been something that's needed, I've needed or wanted to take him in for a while, but I've been really resisting it such a funny thing to resist, but for me, this has been a resistance. <laughs> and um, so I go in, and I'm, I'm already, I can feel in myself how I'm gearing up for the, the tears or the yelling or the running um, that may happen and the explaining and the, you know, whatever it is that, I might have to do in in the role of mom. And I get him to the seat, and um, immediately uh, he doesn't want to wear the smock. And so I'm explaining that this is a bib, (laughs) which he'll wear a bib, but he won't wear the smock. And um, and so, you know, the, the... the angel of a woman who is there to cut his hair is being very gentle and trying to get the smock on and very patient. And, and I'm trying maybe not so patiently (laughs) to get the smock on and explain what we're doing and why the smock is important and uh, that you'll get itchy. It'll feel itchy. And, um, uh, so we get the smock on him and, uh, and I'm, I, and it took a lot of uh, care, actually. I, he is standing up at this point in the chair, refusing to sit. <laughs> and I've been able to just quickly clip it and then give him a big hug and just, you know, it's okay. We're get, you're getting your hair cut. It's going to be quick. It's going to be, you know, done before you know it. I don't know if he really knows what I'm talking about in terms of time, but... I'm feeling better. I think I'm talking more to myself. This will be all over soon. <laughs> and, but I'm anxious about it, which I'm sure he feels, you know. So he finally does sit down, and um, uh, we're now offering him lots of toys, and there's a little TV that for him to watch a movie and all this stuff. Just whatever will work. And I'm frantically trying to find the right object to satisfy his attention and his needs to just sit there. And um, I'm noticing that the woman who's cutting his hair is actually really calm. And I'm like the nervous, frantic mom. <laughs> and so then I, I start to step back and breathe and remember I do know how to do this. <laughs> and um, Leo calms down, and she starts to cut his hair. And she's doing it in this very slow but attentive way, um, just being really careful with bringing the, the, the comb up through his hair and uh, very gently taking the... Uh, the buzzer, the clippers uh, across it and pulling away quickly so that he, you know, doesn't become alarmed by the whole process. And whenever he feels the comb, though, he turns, you know, he jerks his head to look back. And so then she doesn't do the cut. And this happens over and over and over again. And I'm standing there breathing and watching all this. And I start saying things like, don't worry if it's crooked. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I know you're doing your, you'll just do your best. It's fine. It's okay. It's, it's crooked. 
And the because the anxiety is now coming up. Oh, she's going to take so long. There's no way we'll get through this haircut. We're going to get you know a quarter of the way, and half, and that'll be it. Which could be the reality of the situation. It's not like I'm pulling this out of thin air. Um, but she she totally ignores me, which was the right thing to do, and continues on in in this very gentle and slow way. And he he and she'll get a cut in here and a cut in there, and he keeps jerking around and doesn't really like it. And and um, at one point, I realize though that he's calmed down from where he was before, and really he's just you know concerned about that sensation on the back of the neck is the worst and around the ears. Uh, from the comb, and that everything else seems to be fine. So I start putting all the pieces together that, okay, this is kind of working, and I can relax. Maybe maybe if I relax, this will happen. So I start to relax, and he doesn't change. The, the situation doesn't change, but for some reason... Um, and I think partly because of just how uh, attentive and careful and caring this and patient uh, the woman was who was cutting his hair, suddenly I, I just get this idea um, that what if I just take my hand as she's going you know, around his ear, which is a tricky spot. You can easily nick um, the ear when, when the kids are... Turn like that, and so I thought. Well, what if I just put my hand up at his cheek so that he can rest all his weight on my hand? Because I don't know, he's he's a real sensory kind of guy, and so that that feeling of touch, he he often seeks it out. And I thought, well, maybe maybe that will help uh, ground him and make him feel more safe. And so I do it, and he immediately sinks in and relaxes into my hand, and she's able to do the area around his ear. And then I take my hand and I put it at his forehead, and he just goes down like this and puts his, all his weight into my hand, and I'm now stroking his back. And just we're, and all of a sudden, this like magical moment where... I think everyone that was in the salon um, was now paying attention and saying, "Oh, that's so sweet!" And it was—it was this really touching kind of moment of of Leo fully relaxing, me grounding and relaxing with him, and then this—the woman cutting his hair and, and doing. The best job. It's the best haircut he's ever had. And we did this for a while. It was the longest haircut he's ever had. Um, and we just, and we did this, I don't know how long. I didn't time it. I didn't have a sense of time while it was happening, but um, I just kept doing this. And when I think about that situation and about this, um, this topic of of effort and what what it takes to really stay present and meet the moment appropriately. Uh, you know, I could have held him there. You know, I've seen people do that. I haven't I haven't done that with him, but um, I could have just held him there, right? Um, I could have yelled at him and. You know, tried to find some way to make him stay still, you know, out of my own frustration or embarrassment or whatever it is. Um, and I don't blame moms for, for doing that. I get it. Uh, but, and we do this to ourselves, you know. So when we're here in our practice and our mind wanders off and it's just like a little kid who wants to see, well, what's going on over here? Well, what's going on over here? Well, that's more interesting than this. And it just kind of goes all over the place. And we can yell at it, and we can, you know, try really hard to force it to be present. 
and maybe in practice there might be times where that is appropriate. In fact, right in the suttas, the teachings of the Buddha, he talks about that being a method as a last resort. But, you know, mostly what I find is like, is this effort that's needed is something different, something that is comforting, something that allows us to feel more safe and available. It comes from this place of tenderness, I think, as well as wisdom. And so it is just like taking this hand to, to your mind, that busy mind, and taking that loving, that loving hand and saying, okay, let's just be right here. Let's be right here and relax. Just this is fine. Very different effort level than trying to strain yourself into some kind of experience. Human beings, we're, we're constantly changing. Life forms, constantly changing. This is a fact of nature. We're constantly in flux. Everything about this world, constantly in flux. And as human beings, we're complex. Um, we are a mind and body process that is constantly changing um, from you know the physical. You know we've got our our hormone levels constantly changing. We have um, our our neurological system, the synapses, and um, the way that we're processing information and operating the body on the neurological level. Uh, we're, a, we're a body of transfer systems like the circulatory system and digestive system. All of this is happening right now as you're sitting here. And you don't have to think about it. You don't even have to know that it's happening. You probably don't know <laughs> a lot of what's happening. Um, that's kind of the bliss of, of being human or... Um, yeah, we, there, there's this aliveness that's happening with us within us that's very complex. It's there to keep us alive. It is our our life happening. Uh, and so all of that change that's happening, um, it affects our energy level, our mental states. It affects um, who we are in any given moment. And that's just the bodily experience, right? And then we have these minds, which are really incredible. They're very powerful. Um, Our ability to think and process and figure things out and plan and understand time. It's really incredible, but it's also always changing. It's clarity, it's mood, it's perspective. It's different depending on the moment. One of the wonderful things about the human mind is that it can know itself, which is really what we're doing in this practice. It's our mind knowing itself, becoming more uh, in relationship with its inner workings understanding it, having a larger, um, not just understanding, but a clarity of what's happening in the mind. So if it's trained in this way, our mind has this ability to know itself. And this is our mindfulness and our compassion and our concentration practices. But to stabilize that requires effort. And the effort that's used will always depend on just who we are in any given moment. And so if we have this idea that in order to stay mindful or to concentrate the mind, we have to do it in this particular way, 
We have some formula that we think carries through our life. Uh, We're misunderstanding. We're not actually meeting the moment. That our effort, in order for it to be really wise, cultivated effort, to have a a positive effect, um, it has to be an effort that meets where we are in each moment. Not just within a meditation, uh, or like a full meditation. I mean, every breath. Where are we at in this moment? Because it's changing so much all the time. Our effort is key to this whole thing. Uh, The Buddha talked a lot about effort. It's in so many of the lists. If you are familiar with the teachings of the Buddha, you know that he loved lists. (laughs) Or at least that's how it was recorded later on. Were all these lists. And effort shows up in a lot of them. Um, So one of them is in the five spiritual faculties. Uh, So the the cultivation of our practice, one of the, the powers that's cultivated is effort. Last week I talked about faith as being one of the powers that is cultivated. Um, and it's a power that protects us from doubt. And effort is this protection against uh, apathy. And so it's, um, it has an effect on uh, our interest, our curiosity, our ability to connect and stay here with even the difficult. But what that effort looks like, um, it changes. And so like this, this tenderness meditation that we just did, sometimes that's what's needed. Sometimes uh, it's something else. The Buddha made a distinction about effort, about many things, uh, but one is effort that there's wise effort and unwise effort. Sometimes it's translated as right effort, wrong effort. I prefer wise, unwise. This is in the Eightfold Path. Uh, So he talks about wise effort. So that implies there's unwise effort. And so wise effort is the effort that's being made to um, uh, stop our patterns our cycle of creating more dukkha. Dukkha is the Pali word, sometimes translated as the, as unsatisfactoriness or stress. Um, it's the friction that we experience in our mind and in our heart when we are not in alignment with truth. And so wise effort is... Um, is cutting that pattern of cultivating uh, more of this dukkha and also the effort used to prevent it from showing up later on. And then it's also, wise effort is also uh, uh, effort that's used to cultivate the opposite of dukkha. So cultivating this tenderness, this availability, this compassion, cultivating our wisdom and our clarity. This is wise effort. It's not just wise, it's worthwhile. It's a valued effort. We can use our efforts in many, many ways, and we do. We spend our time doing a lot of different things. And sometimes we spend our time doing things that we feel like are really worthwhile. And maybe that's true. Or maybe over time it becomes clear, wow, I really wasted that. Or I put too much of my energy into that. And it's not fulfilling. It's actually not creating more happiness and connection in my life. Or sometimes we find ourselves putting all this energy towards something that we know isn't creating more happiness in our life, but somehow we feel stuck in doing it. We're in some kind of habitual rut that we can't get out of, or we think we can't get out of. And these are ruts that are created within ourselves. Sometimes um, 
They're supported by society in different ways. And so we just take note of these differences uh, in our life. What is wise effort? What is unwise effort? I know in practice, um, even when we're cultivating um, in this, this supposed wise way, uh, we're spending a lot of time practicing maybe, or um, we're making some kind of effort to, to um, be in the Dharma. We can do it in a way that brings in our outside habits and ways of doing things that are not so wise, like an effort that's not patient or an effort that is um, uh, driven by self-judgment, you know, that unhelpful judgment. Uh, an effort that, is, um, that has a tone that's really cruel or mean towards ourself or towards others. And so it can seem like a very spiritual effort because we're doing the practice, we're sitting, we're on the cushion. But what is it actually cultivating? We can look really good doing the practice. We can have all the gear. We can sit really still. If you notice, oh, that person. I remember um, a teacher once, I was saying, everyone around me sits so still. And she leaned in and said, Kate, you have no idea what's going on in their head. (laughs) And it was just this kind of, yeah, what are we actually cultivating? So even, you know, we might be able to sit still, but we might be, you know, doing our shopping list (laughs) in our mind. So what is, what are we actually doing? How are we efforting? And it changes. So this is an important point that I want to make, that the amount of effort needed and the way we put our effort forward changes because we change. This is, this is essential. We're always changing. And so I remember times um, in practice, I remember when I first started, and it took a lot of effort to um, go to the meditations, to have a, a practice at home, uh, felt near impossible. It took a long time for me to, to cultivate that. And I was excited about this, but it was just so new and so different from anything else I was doing in my life. Um, my mind was all over the place, and uh, I would easily fall asleep. And so it took quite a bit of effort to just get through a meditation <laughs> without feeling like I just want to get up and bolt out the door. You know. And it was, it kind of went back and forth between um, me trying really hard, that tight, uh, forcible, uh, forcing effort to try and make myself you know, into this I- ideal that I, that I had about what I should be experiencing in my meditation. And then it would go into this kind of giving up. Um, it's good enough just to be here <laughs> kind of attitude um, that really was just um, so uh, overwhelmed by, by it all. So it took some time to find a balance with effort. And then shortly thereafter, I, I found myself just so excited about practice, on fire about practice. I couldn't get enough. My mind um, had settled. Suddenly, practice had gotten easier. And this sometimes happens. It doesn't happen all the time, but for some, um, this happens, where everything just kind of falls into place. And um, that is very inspiring. You know, I talked about faith last week. I had so much faith because I was experiencing all these um, uh, fruits of practice. I just knew that this was this was it, and that this worked. And it was pretty easy for a while, and it didn't take much effort. Um, but then that stopped, 
And it was devastating. <laughs> it was so hard. It was harder than even before when I had started. My concentration just slogged. Oh, my mind was just slogging through the meditations. I was so uninspired and so doubtful. And it took a while to really cultivate and understand the importance of effort and the wisdom of fine-tuning it to what is happening in the moment. It took me many years to even give attention to it. We talk so much about mindfulness and concentration, but effort is a key element to the whole thing. A mind that is over-efforting will not sustain concentration the concentration becomes like this. It's not stabilized because it needs to relax. And a mindful or a, an effort that's too relaxed um, dips into uh, that sloth and torpor hindrance. We just we become um, kind of disinterested. Um, it's just you know we almost can't be bothered. Uh, it's hard to pull out of that. There was a time uh, later on in my practice, I'll just share with you, where I went through quite a bit of grief just in my life. There was a period of time where I was suffering from a lot of grief and loss. And I had my practice, and that was very helpful. Um, it's, it was part of what really got me through that period, of being able to move through and um, be with the grief. And the way that I was able to do that was had a lot to do with effort and this this tenderness. Noting knowing that when you're in a state of grief or depression, that you don't have the energy necessarily or the vitality to um, uh, push and persevere. In your practice, necessarily, or maybe even through your day, and that it takes a lot of rest and care in this attitude of tenderness of just meeting the moment for what it is. Oh, there it is. There's the suffering. There's the grief, uh, the sadness, the anxiety. Oh, there it is. And just with that that gentleness, just like the hand on Leo's cheek. It's okay, you can rest here. And it just is enough. It's so, so little effort. And that's all you might be able to do in those states. And it was all I could do in those states. It's just rest in that being. And it made all the difference. If I had tried to fight it or um, practice in some other way, I probably would have worn myself out it probably would have extended maybe longer or even gone into some other um, uh, uncomfortable or, or unhelpful mental state. And so I share that with you. Um, maybe you're going through some grief or a difficult time, um, or maybe it'll happen in the future, uh, that there's these different ways we can use our effort in our practice to meet who we are in the moment that, we can meet whoever we are in the moment. That's the, that's the idea anyway. We don't need to change who we are in order to practice. I think that's really important. That we come to the practice fully as who we are with all our imperfections and all of our challenges. And even with all of that, with that fine attunement of our effort and our heart and whatever wisdom we can bring in, we can meet it. We can be right there with it. And so this can... This idea can follow us off the cushion as well. Um, 
It's important that we cultivate all of this on the cushion. I, I know for myself, this is what supports me and has uh, a grounding effect to be um, out in the world right now. And that there's um, a lot of dukkha. There's so much suffering happening right now in so many different forms. Maybe that's not new, actually. As human beings, um, uh, this is part of the reality. But maybe we're just more connected to it now. We've got the 24-hour news cycle, and it's we've got our cell phones, and um, it's just constant. We're so tuned in that we have to make an effort to tune out <laughs> So this practice is, is I think, really um, nourishing and helpful in times like this. And we can use these, these properties of practice when we're out in the world. You know, the, the, the love for the Dharma, the love for truth and peace and compassion, wisdom within ourself is something that we can love about the world around us and want to fight for and want to cultivate. There doesn't have to be a separation between our internal practice and our external practice. And so that attunement of effort is key. I think there are those in the world who seem to have an abundance of energy and faith and uh, clarity of how to move forward in the world to make it better, to make it safer, to make it more inclusive, um, to make it healthier, to make our planet healthier. So there are those who seem to hold that vision and have that capacity. It seems like for most of us, though, we can put all this effort into, um, we can get very inspired and, and put everything we have into a cause or into something that just seems really important to us social justice, earth justice, uh, whatever it is. And if we're not careful and we're not attuned to our to ourself as well as to um, all that's happening outside of ourself, we burn out. It becomes too much. We're holding too much. We're pushing too much, too hard. We've lost our grounding. We lose our faith. Our, uh, our mind turns more towards doubt, which is its opposite. We lose our effort. It turns to apathy, which is its opposite. And so that can be, maybe some of you know that place. You've been there or you're there right now. For others, it seems, uh, I, was act- I was listening to the news about um, why people were voting in certain ways at, during the election. And um, it seemed that depending on where you were uh, located, um, uh, environmental issues were really far down on um, the list of what was important to voters. This is for some. I know for some it's way up there. Um, but it seems the majority of the, the country, it was really far down. And there was a speaker, and I, um, this was just kind of a, a something in passing on the radio that I heard, so I don't remember who it was who was speaking, but uh, someone was brought in to, to answer for that. Well, why is that? Why aren't we, as a country, being motivated to politically uh, because of the environment, even though large portions of our country 
have been greatly affected just in this last year uh, by climate change. And uh, the speaker said, I think it's because it's such a big issue. It's just so big that people are overwhelmed by it and they can't touch it. So that's the other side of it. You know, these issues feel so big that even the idea of of uh, being a, a force for change and um, to um, to practice off the cushion against uh, greed, hatred, and delusion out in the world is overwhelming, and we don't even get started because it's too much. So this comes back to effort. This comes back to effort and that attunement. You know, maybe it's finding just the smallest way to do something. Maybe you stop using straws. (laughs) Unless you have a medical reason. Uh, Maybe um, uh, you make a connection you make a, an effort to make connections with people who are of different race or sexual orientation or gender identification than you. Because you want to uh, be, you know, not just connected, but, you know, when we start to free our own mind of these limitations, uh, not only does it put something in the world that is wholesome, but it puts something within ourselves. It starts to plant seeds within ourselves to start letting go of either the racism or prejudices that we may have. That's part of our process or our path of freedom. And so it might be in these smaller ways that we do something. It might be getting together with a group, doing this with other people so that we're not feeling uh, the full burden of the suffering. I've been really inspired uh, following these young people, who high schoolers who have been victims of gun violence in their schools and how none of them stand out to be the leader for long, that they kind of rotate and they are all there together. I also was listening to something, um, uh, I think it was on uh, This American Life, a story about the parents of, um, of uh, children who had been shot and killed in schools. Uh, they lost their child or their children. How they're showing up. They're the first ones to be there after the first responders to be there to just hold the grieving um, kids and families in these places. Not a small thing to do, um, but they do it together, and they're a community of people moving through the country together in response because they're done with the violence, and they want to be there. They want to be there in that tenderness uh, with those who are suffering. I was um, reading uh, an article um, just the other day about the response of uh, the local Muslim community in um, Pittsburgh to the Tree of Life uh, shooting who raised thousands of dollars immediately because they wanted to do something in response to what had happened there. Um, And then in turn, in saying, you know, you as a community, the Jewish community there had done that for them uh, after the election and after uh, 9-11, that they had been brought in by this particular Jewish community and they, they felt that kinship in their struggle and wanted to do something. And so it's in that coming together as a community to make a difference Um, so that not just one has to hold that burden. Another um, story similar was uh, the Muslim community in Toronto. Have you read about this? Creating the uh, peace rings uh, after the 
the shooting at the synagogue, a, a lot of uh, Jewish community were wanting to show solidarity and go to service, go to the temples. But there was a lot of fear, of course, a lot of fear. I think even those of us who were not um, uh, affiliated with the faith were feeling just fear, just every time something like this happens. It's just a little too close to home. And so uh, the Muslim community in Toronto got together and were making these peace rings where they, they in silence, created a, a barrier around the synagogues in the Toronto, greater Toronto area um, as a protector, as protection for those who wanted to go in. And just very moving. And it makes me think that it's, in a way, a really simple gesture to get up with your group and go, you don't have to say anything, you don't have to do anything except be a presence. And you provide this incredible uh, sense of safety, protection, connection, a sense of peace in a world that, you know, where it just seems like the peace keeps getting shattered. What an incredibly simple thing to do, and yet so powerful even just to read about it. I was in tears as I was reading this article. It was so moving um, to, to see that in light of all this. And yet, when, we're, when we see something like that, when we see injustice, we see something, and we finally say, enough, I want something different. It doesn't take that much effort to do something. Once we know what the direction is, once the group comes together and says, this is what we're going to do, or we get the email or the thing on Facebook that says, we're going to march, and you say, yes, and that thing inside of you just goes, absolutely. Or your friend is in trouble, someone you care about, loved one, and they call you and say, I really need you. And it's that moment where there's no hesitation. It's just, yes, I will be there. There's no effort, there's very little effort that's needed in those moments. We're moved by goodness. We're moved by compassion. When compassion and presence is there, um, it takes very little. It's, it really is just like that, that motion of a hand on the cheek saying, oh, it's okay, you can lean into this. And so when it feels like there's nothing we can do and all these issues just seem too big, the dukkha seems too big, we can start to look for the little things where our heart says yes and the effort just flows. We don't have to push ourselves so much. It just becomes something that we can connect with. And it might not be as um, as large as, say, a, a peace ring or... Uh, even joining a rally of some kind. It might be something much more subtle. It might be just how you are as a neighbor or a friend. But it all counts. And it's all it all can be an expression of the Dharma moving through you. Uh, and when I say that, I mean this um, human capacity for love and compassion and wisdom in response to all of that pain, confusion, greed, and hate. It's the force, not just against that, but it's the force that can see it and hold it, give it witness, and not be controlled by it, not be um, suppressed by it. So it's a really strong force that is in all of us if we know how to attune with that effort. So maybe I'll just leave it there if you have any questions um, about effort. And yesterday, or yesterday, last week, I wasn't able to answer questions, those of you who were here for the faith talk, 
Uh, we ran out of time at the end, so if there's any questions about that as well, it's, it's all part of a series that I'm doing right now. That would be just fine. Comments are also fine. I wanted to say that I think it's just um, this is a new idea for me. This this notion of thinking about effort um, in this way that you know it's something to be. um, It's not just one thing. Yeah, (laughs) it can be many different things, and it's it's about uh, it's about what's needed in the moment. And and to me, it's very it's very freeing Mm. to um, think of it that way. Because um, I know that, you know, I get into habits in my meditation where, oh, I need to be doing more of this or this or that. And it's rather than, than looking more at sort of what, what's going on right now and what kind of effort is, is going to be most um, wholesome and helpful. And it also makes it more creative, <laughs> too. <Yeah. laughs> so thank you. <laughs> I was wondering um, when you were talking about the great example of with your son and the resting, sometimes I find that um, in my practice the the agitation is so strong that even just resting, it just feels... If you have any other suggestions about the step before getting to the resting when things feel really stirred up and um, you just want to disconnect from something that's very strong... Um, if you have any suggestions. Sure. Yeah, yeah it, sometimes it's helpful to turn to the need, that disconnection, that feeling of that, not resisting it, but actually making that more of the object for your care. So there's whatever is below that, that that's saying, I don't, I don't want to be connected to this, right? And then there's that feeling of aversion. And so instead of going down to the maybe like the root of it or the heart of it, start right at the surface or the, uh, you know, right at the borders of it all and bring your attention and care to that, just the aversion. Yeah, I just don't want to be feeling this right now. And let yourself um, see if there can be some tenderness towards just that level of aversion without needing it to go deeper. It might go more uh, towards the the root cause, um, but only the best way is only uh, if it's time, if you're ready. Because you know whatever the root cause, it'll it'll show up again. It's not like you lose your your chance. <laughs> so there's no rush in that way. When we when we uh, have our have our Time uh, clock, or or our sense of you know, all right, I should be done with this and just get to the heart of the matter here. Let's be, let's get this over with. Um, uh, it's not inspiring to our our hurt and to our mind, to our heart, to then go, okay, <laughs> and to open. Here I am. No, what it does is go screw you, and you know, kind of puts its guard up. Um, we have to be so so careful sometimes and gentle with with that pushing. And the more gentle we are, and the more the more it can relax, feel safe, and and on its own begin to melt. Uh, then we start to see what's underneath, and we're more available and able to hold it at that point than if we go, you know, digging for it in some way. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Okay. Great. So I hope um, I hope this is all helpful. We will now dedicate our our time together cultivating in this way. This is this is wise effort. <laughs> Could have done many things this evening, maybe wholesome things, but this is a wholesome thing. And um, you know, we often come here to uh, help ourselves. You know, in some way, we're hoping to get our own personal benefit out of the practice and what we do here. And uh, hopefully, that's true. And because we are so connected to each other, it's never just for us. The ripple effects of uh, the wholesomeness of this practice, they ripple out into our relationships with the people who are closest to us, um, to the people we work with, the people we are around throughout our day. They ripple out into the community and they ripple out beyond in ways that we don't even understand. And so in that spirit, we can dedicate uh, the wholesomeness of our time here together to all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy and find contentment in their lives. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their body. May all beings be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be free. May we all be free. Thank you for your attention. Have a good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.